Welcome to Ta Ta TT Talk, a music education podcast. I'm Tyler Swick. And I'm Jordan Smith. I'm Dr. Martina Vassell. I'm an associate professor at the University of Kentucky. I direct the summer programming there, and I'm president of the Association for Popular Music Education. Shout out associate professor, tenured. What up, Dr. Vassell? I'm Dr. Brian Powell. I'm a lowly assistant professor of music education <laughs> at Montclair State University, and I'm the executive director of the Association for Popular Music Education. As you can tell from our smiles, this has been a very fun episode to record. We're having a great time today. Stick around for the entire episode because we touch on so many things over the next hour and 20 minutes. I hope you find something you enjoy, and we'll see you at the end. I guess I should start with, I've never actually met Brian in real life. So exciting. <laughs> um, I met him essentially. It's weird to say you met somebody because it's in this digital age, but I took the modern band um, workshop that was online. And it was like, what, Monday through Thursday, so like four to six for a couple hours. And you know me, like if this was normally like in person. I would have been like that person that was like walking up when they're like, does anybody have any questions? And I'm probably like, stared at him and be like, yes, I have like so many. So I had to like think on it. Like after the first day, I was like, well, this is awkward, but I was totally into everything he was saying. I just felt like it was one of those moments that I had with Martina, which Martina, it was like, uh, I don't know, glitter went off and all these streamers, you know, metaphorically speaking, because I also met her at our Kentucky music conference, like one of those um, clinics. And I was really bummed out. And I'm not going to say who it was before an orphan where there were people in the front row that were like falling asleep and like doing those like where they're like waking themselves up head nods. And I was like, oh, great. Here we are. And I'm like, then to my fifth year, I think teaching and I was feeling like pretty, uh, I don't know, it was stagnant. Like my teaching career for, felt very stagnant because I'm over there like doing all this stuff with garage band and putting beats in my classroom and the people around me are like, no, that's not what music education is. And Martina walks in, she's got like this cool outfit that like reels me in totally nineties vibes. And I'm like, okay, I'm like sitting up straight, making sure I don't head not fall asleep. And she just like catches the entire room's attention. Like there's no more chairs left. People are standing up and there's crowd around like, who is this lady? Because you know, like in her, um, I think like it was in the booklet, it said something about like pop music and ORF in the same sentence. And I was like, it's very what? exciting. Just those words combined is very exciting. Yes. And it's like, I have to go seek this out. So she immediately catches the room's attention. I don't know if that was like a, you're doing like the John Cena thing with the recorders and the <laughs> Tabanos. And um, yeah. So like that's essentially what reeled me into it. And again, as extrovert as I am, I can also be awkward. And I was like, I got to talk to her. And I waited for like her fan club, you know, to talk through the line. And I'm like standing in the back. I'm like, oh, this is, I'm so awkward, whatever. So I go up and I immediately am just like reeled into her message. And she mentions modern band. And that's like the first seed that was planted. And she was so approachable and the people around her. And so that's when I start getting into, um, there's a COSA, which is a Kentucky or Shulwark Association for Kentucky. And I was like, okay, I think I'm getting closer to my people, maybe. But um, Tyler and I have like talked about this. We both, um, the ORF levels, we were kind of, kind of had the same attitude where I was like, I'm a percussionist. I don't need to get into all this. But when you mentioned modern band, I'd never heard of that. So yes, in this long drawn out explanation, that's how I essentially 
came into the past of both of these cool people. That's fantastic. So as an outsider, uh, I, ha- I don't know anything about modern band other than I think it's when you play music with instruments that are not supposed to be in the room. <laughs> so Brian, can you elaborate to me or, or what, what's the run through of an outsider who hears the word modern band and get, they go, what's that? How do I, how do, I do that? Yeah, sure. So um, the idea behind Modern Band is uh, was to add another kind of stream of instrumental music education. And uh, the term Modern Band was chosen because it felt like it might fit into like jazz band, concert band, marching band, modern band. It's a little less scary than like rock, rock ensemble or pop ensemble. What is popular music? So um, it does often center around kind of rock band instruments, electric guitar, bass, drums, keyboards, vocals, technology, ukulele. But, um, you know, you, you made that comment about like instruments that don't belong. It can be inclusive of uh, any instrument that you want. So I run a rock band at or a popular music ensemble. See, I even slip it in, into there as well. Uh, <laughs> I run a pop music ensemble at Montclair State University where I work and we have a uh, trumpet, we have saxophone, like any instrument is welcome in addition to uh, electronics and, and electric guitar and things like that. So the repertoire is generally focused around music that the students choose that often can be popular music as we know it, you know, f- like currently popular stuff, uh, but it can also be uh, folk songs or songs that students wrote themselves. So some modern bands look like a total rock band and others look a lot more eclectic and students are doing their own songwriting and there's kind of everything in between. So that's why I think there's a lot of overlap between some of the creative elements of ORF um, and the songwriting and creation that can happen in popular music. That's fantastic. Did you find that people were doing that without even realizing they were doing that? Where, you know, we had a guitar and a recorder, and when they played together, whoops, we made a modern band. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I think people were doing it for a lot of years, but um, uh, we weren't talking about it. Like, I I taught in the New York City popular, uh, New York City public school system, and... I started doing a guitar ensemble and then we added popular music instruments and then students would kind of play whatever they had, but I totally thought that I was like the only person doing this. I was like, no one else is doing popular music. Uh, I taught in East Harlem and so we did some like Spanish language things that the students would be teaching me about. Um, but I had no, this is pre, I'm old enough that I was teaching kind of pre Facebook. Um, and so I there weren't there weren't these ideas about like communities of people doing technology in the classroom or popular music in the classroom. I just kind of thought that I was like making it up because my students liked music, but they didn't really want to play. I'm a trombone player. They didn't really want to play clarinet or trombone or do those kind of traditional things. They wanted to do these other things. And so um, it was half because I was like, oh, this is really cool. And it was half just because I was like trying to prevent myself from like sinking of like not knowing what I was doing and just trying to do anything that would connect the students to music. Yeah. And I think that that is how I felt like I walked in my classroom and it was like, okay, all these tools that I was given in college and it's not a hit on anybody. It just wasn't working. And you're sitting there like, oh, geez, what do I do? And it was like the most natural thing for me to implement in my classroom, which, you know, again, like when Martina brought that up, which bringing it to Kentucky, I feel like has been a huge thing just to spread that idea, you know, of like teachers that think like that and feel like that. And I guess I was going to ask you, Martina, what made you get passionate to bring that to Kentucky? Yeah. um, Well, I moved here. So no matter, I guess, whatever state I would have moved to, I would have done it. (laughs) Anyway, that's cool. um, 
So you were influenced before that, before you got here? Yeah, it's, it all came from teaching middle school general music. <laughs> um, and me kind of like desperately trying to do anything that was going to work. Because uh, first of all, I was not prepared for it at all in my undergrad program because it basically went like K through five and then ensembles. And my student teaching was the same K through five and then high school, nothing in the middle. I think that really then, resonates with a lot of people because when I heard middle school general music existed, I was like, my fifth graders are kind of tired, tired of xylophone by fifth grade. How could I possibly extend this to eighth grade? Yeah. And it's, um, and I, my first job out of college K through eight and I was at Catholic schools and things were still kind of working with the population. Like the kids would kind of go along with it. They still weren't like, I could see like that was the time when like iPods are coming out and they're like starting to seriously curate like their playlists on there. And I was like, kind of interested, but I was like, well, my way is the best. Like, I'm going to do my work stuff and folk music and like, what's wrong with you? And I was really kind of butting heads with them. And then for some reason, I was in my fourth or fifth year teaching and I got a new job at a charter school in the, in the middle of the city. And I just thought like, I got I to gotta change because like nothing was working. The kids were like not cooperating and I'm like, I need to change. And I just started asking them, like, what do they like? What do they listen to? And it was, you know, they liked um, Nicki Minaj and they liked um, mostly R&B and hip hop. And I'm like, oh my God, I know nothing about this. And the first thing I actually did was um, I taught them salsa dancing because I'm a salsa dancer. And I thought I knew they liked to dance. I know they like to move. They would like try to teach me things that I would do very poorly, uh, like the pin drop move. Um, so I thought, well, what if I could find like some R&B salsa tracks, which there are a lot of them. And there's some great um, uh, mixes like Neo, Sissica love songs, and they kind of put it to a salsa beat. Uh, and they loved it and they ate it up, especially my eighth graders, um, sixth, seventh, and eighth. I did it, actually, I did it five through eight, and I taught them what I knew about salsa, and we would do it to the, to the music they liked, and they totally ate it up, and we did a performance. And at the time, I didn't realize I was implementing all these, like, informal learning techniques, like modeling, giving them time to practice on their own, letting them, you know, fail a little bit on their own or do it with a partner and not, like, directing each step like because when I taught salsa classes that's the way I would do it so if you're teaching adults and it's a much more um, free way I would say student-centered way because they're getting to work things out on their own um, and from there I was like oh I have my Mac I have GarageBand on here I had one Mac like the school didn't have any tech and I would bring my one Mac book in and I was like all right like I want you to be able to I know you're doing beats you're showing me on your phone we can't use phones in class unfortunately so like i had the kids i'm like can you you know i'll give you time to like work on your favorite artists like they were making posters i know it wasn't like the best thing and then like i would rotate the kids who would work with me for like 10 minutes at a time or 15 on garage band and actually had like a group of kids write a whole rap song i wish i had the recording and they performed it we had like every eight weeks like a sharing with parents and they performed their rap um and then I started like adding backbeats to recorder playing and we would do like hot cross buns to like a hip hop beat and we shared that and yes. it was like super cute. And for once I was like, ah, realizing how little I knew and what actually worked. And that's where like this like real dissatisfaction with music had started to come from an interest in pop music. 
That's Does beautiful. It, is it gratifying to know that all these people with different backgrounds and different preparation for the classroom kind of ended up in the same place of like the modern student cares more about popular music than folk music or they care more about the instruments that apply to the music they listen to or it's like as you brought up already Brian like the clarinet is not so hip anymore but being able to play one of those touch <laughs> drum pads is like the new key to the city <laughs> yeah and what's funny is like when you talk to anyone else outside of music ed it, this is like the most obvious thing ever you're like so actually it turns out that students want to make music that they like and they want to create their own stuff and they don't want to play and everyone's like well obviously are you just figuring this out and i'm like well we've got this history and this tradition and um and again my daughter's in a band and she's a sixth grade playing flute and they're playing like not pop tunes and she likes it and she's fun. So, and I was a band kid. So, you know, it's not really a, this is better than that situation. Mm -hmm. I think it's just like the students for whom band works, many of us were probably in that boat, it works and that's cool and that's good. And um, so it's not about like, oh, we've got to get away from that. It's just like, well, that works, but that's a small percentage of the students that it works for. And then all these other students who are musical, who are, have musical identities and are connected to music, but don't want to do the band thing or the choir thing or the orchestra thing. Um, you know, like how do we connect with them? And again, it's so obvious that it's almost so simple that we, that we miss it, that they want to connect with things that they want to, you know, and this is how they're elements of education work, you know, uh, constructivist education, students have choice, they're bringing in their their outside of school experiences inside of school, but sometimes we miss that opportunity in music ed. And so um, that's where I feel like music technology and poverty music can kind of, you know, widen that door to music participation a little bit. Martina, I have to say that one day I was on Facebook and somebody shared a picture and it was the University of Kentucky band room, but it was filled with people playing guitar and drum set and ukulele. And I said, what cool thing is going on in that room? Because I've only seen that room filled with marching bands, with uh, you know, sitting bands, standing bands, maybe a couple of violins. And I was like, what happened at that school where something like this is happening? So the answer is you happened at that school. Uh, what's the success been like with this ensemble? Because I can't help but think, I would be one of the first people in that room if this class existed while I was there. Yeah, so uh, what you saw was a modern band training. So uh, pretty much annually, I've been bringing Brian to campus. Um, and he's kind of my modern band guru here. Like I've, I'm still learning a lot. Um, and, you know, we, we do these two day weekends and get teachers to come in. And it's it's been really interesting because some years I had people like fly in from different states to attend it because I think they didn't have anything nearby. And like Little Kids Rock does a lot of this too, but there's certain regions they just don't get to. And I mean, Kentucky's one, like we, we never had a Little Kids Rock program. Like they'll, I think Brian, they'll target certain cities, right? Yeah, if we have funding from like a foundation that's based in a certain city, then we do trainings in that city, but um, we're not yet able to open it up to just anywhere in, in the United States that would want it. Yeah, so... Um, it's great, you know, for two days, Brian kind of takes them through the modern band 101 and kind of the basics on everything and seeing what people can apply to their classroom because I've had choral directors come band directors, administrators, art supervisors and the journal music people and that was very surprising and pleasing to me that clearly this is a need 
beyond <laughs> what I thought it was like just middle school general music like clearly there are other teachers that are interested in this um, clearly something's not working in a way that they're seeing too many kids excluded from music or even in their own classrooms that something isn't quite clicking with students um, but I mean I would love for that to be a real thing in my curriculum I kind of do it with my secondary methods course my students form their own popular music ensemble so I've kind of sneaked it in to my curriculum and nobody cares about that because it doesn't mess with their schedules so <laughs> that's awesome I know the phrase alternative ensemble started like five years ago and this incredible uh, visionary named Anne Fennell came around and said alternative ensemble sounds like a punishment it sounds like prison for kids who didn't join band. And she then coined the phrase innovative ensemble. And of course, it's inspiring to hear that instead of alternative. <laughs> so would you would you consider rock band to absolutely be an innovative ensemble as opposed to an alternative ensemble? <laughs> I guess so. I mean, it's just like, it's just an ensemble to me. And um, we actually have a rock band at the University of Kentucky. It was, it's an elective, unfortunately. I wish it was a required part for music ed majors, but it was run, sure. by, run by TAs for years, teaching assistants. And we finally got a new professor hired who's an audio engineer and he runs that class. And it's been really fun to see him post about it. And we, he and I talk a lot and we share equipment. And I just feel like I finally have an ally in the school of music who's doing the same things as me. So we, we support each other like he's run sound for me when my students have performed and so at least i feel like we're taking baby steps toward the right direction i think brian you're, you already have is that a part of your curriculum the yeah so um it it's going to be part of the future we're, we're in the process of montclair state university which is in northern new jersey of putting in a recording arts and production degree for students who want to work in the studio and want to kind of do those things but the exciting thing is from the music education side is that it's open of course to our music ed students so um yeah for this semester for the first time like our property music ensemble is a class that people could register for with a, a teacher and, and gigs and those um sort of things um, and, and speaking about names, you know, there, there is no kind of good name, like people use non-traditional ensemble a lot. And that just messages that like, there are traditions uh, in music ed, and then anything else is non-traditional, even though like a, an African ensemble, African drumming ensemble would be non-traditional, even though it, there's a lot of traditions around African drumming that go back yeah, and predates, <laughs> predates the, no. the invention of the saxophone or whatever that would be in a traditional ensemble. So, um, you know, terminal at, at uh, University of South Florida, they call their uh, ensemble a, a vernacular music chamber ensemble. And that's because they tried to get like rock band passed or something. And people are like, no, 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 we can't do that. And then they called it a vernacular music chamber ensemble. And people are like, well, that sounds good. We know, we know what that, we know what that's like. Um, so, uh, and some people use the word vernacular or popular music or whatever. Um, but yeah, and then it, for our, at our university, we put in a, a like a popular music teaching popular, a class called teaching popular music, and we have a popular music techniques. And because we've been able to put them in as an option, but not a requirement, it doesn't, you know, ruffle feathers. Also, I will say at Montclair State, my my colleagues have been immensely supportive and I don't battle a lot of the same kind of like we're stuck here and we can't be progressive that that maybe um, 
some other institutions deal with. But I feel like uh, Martina actually has a chapter uh, in a book coming out about this. It like make change where you can make change in your own classes. And then maybe that can spread to like, okay, then you're doing this collaborative thing. And then your department can do this thing. And then you can talk to an with another school and do something collaborative. And then you can think about your audition requirements and how they're providing barriers to students who would maybe play those instruments, but have to audition. And then you can start really, you know, making change. You just got to start somewhere. Um, and so, you know, whoever's listening uh, to our chat here, you know, make change within your own school with your own students and then like work out from there and you'll be surprised like, you know, change happens slowly and then kind of all at once sometimes, uh, but you just got to get started somewhere. Yeah. Well, speaking of like baby steps for the baby steps is what I've said lately. Um, how did you all start collaborating what you do and uh, also maybe mention to the listeners how your organization, the APME, the um is it American Association, Association for Popular Association. Music Education? Yeah, I can't like all these acronyms. I love it. I always memorize them by like APME and I can say that confidently. <laughs> Just kidding. All right. Yes. You did. How did you how did you get started in this? Like, what is it? Because I think when I saw that, I um, essentially I kind of associated that with modern band at the time. Like, I, I guess just not knowing what the organization was. So maybe if you can explain to the listeners what all that entails and, you know, shout out to Dr. Martina Vessel for being the president. And Brian's I, that's awesome. Executive director. <laughs> you, okay. You yes. Top, yes. Top two yes. leaders here. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean the top two tier people. I just I think, saw you recently were, uh, we're sending know, only our promoted? best people for you, Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I think Brian should answer um, this one. Cause he's been with the org from the very beginning. Yeah, sure. I'll I'll go quickly, and then actually, the first time I ever met Martina was at this conference, and she can kind of talk about her experience getting involved. But um, yeah, as popular music in other countries, popular music in schools and in higher education has been around and present a lot longer than what we do here because they don't have the same marching band traditions that we have, the same kind of military music traditions. If you look at where our church and aristocracy and military, where our traditions come from in music ed in the States. Um, but it was relatively new in the United States as a degree program. And so what was possible is uh, our university started including popular music more often, but there wasn't kind of like me teaching popular music in East Harlem thinking I'm the only one doing this. There's no community of support. These institutions wanted to get together together with other institutions, colleges and universities and figure out like, hey, what are you doing? What are best practices? How do we share share our experiences? And so uh, they, for, they got together, formed the Association for Popular Music Education. And at that time, it was mostly kind of uh, the popular music universities that you've heard of, uh, Berkeley, University of um, Southern California, Miami, Belmont, NYU, et cetera. And um, so I joined because they were looking for someone who had some experience with nonprofit management, but was also into popular music and could kind of um, help grow the, the nonprofit. And what we started seeing as we started offering conferences is more and more colleges and universities started coming who were offering popular music degrees. But the biggest contingent that started to increase was K-12 teachers and pre-service music teacher educators who were using popular music in their classrooms to bridge that gap, Jordan, as you said, between school music and like music in society. And so we started seeing a lot more 
uh, K-12 teachers, a lot more university professors who are in music education coming to the APME conference. And so it's this really cool combination of university popular music performance professors and the music educator side, both connecting with popular music in different ways. And uh, our biggest kind of outward facing event as we run a conference every year, shout out June 1 through 4 in Detroit, um, connecting to the Motown in Detroit scene this year in 2022, or next year, that'll be our next conference. And uh, and we get to meet cool people. The first time I actually met uh, Dr. Martina Vassell was um, she was not yet Dr. Vassell, and she came to the APME conference in Miami to kind of see what it was about and present and connect and um, you know find some people. And we met there, and um, she did a session the next year at Berkeley. And like you were saying er earlier, Jordan, I don't know if we were maybe it was before we hit record um she had everyone up and they were moving and they were dancing and they were connecting and doing these great things and so uh we said oh it'd be great to get her involved more and then she joined our board of directors and then uh this last year she was elected president of the association what up um so please refer to her as president vassal from now on <laughs> we put and, in front of it the yeah the the president vassal uh so yeah so it's a continued organization and we're continually looking for how do we how do we collect resources and share those out how do we build community how do we support people for whom they're just dipping their toe in the water trying to see what's possible all the way to people who have been doing this forever but are now just kind of connecting with the larger popular music education community wow that was excellent i know see yeah, tyler i'll before. say this i think like, you've said that before <laughs> well i had to say it twice here because my audio kept cu cutting out so i've got lots of practice you went kick them kids off the internet your neighbor's like yeah, like get off the internet of course my kids are probably upstairs like doing beat making and i'm like knock it off i'm talking about beat make oh never mind music's the for the birds line. yeah they're let's be honest they're playing minecraft i don't know what they're doing well, it's fine <laughs> It's see, and it's like Tyler. I've not seen you like smile. I think like this is the one podcast where he's like, yes. And I told him I was like, these are gonna be your people. You just don't right. know it yet. Like, one hundred percent accurate. One hundred percent accurate. Um, and I, I just see such a demand for it now because when we talk about traditional and non-traditional, uh, our traditional ways didn't involve COVID. So the new normal. This seems like such a beautiful fit of I can't do recorders, and everyone's thrilled. So I need to do more ukulele. And it's like, if I need to do more ukulele, I'd like to have a, a path, a journey that we can go on. And a, a, people have come up with ideas. But to say, hey, we're learning pop songs is, I think, the most exciting thing a student could hear. Here's ukulele. Today we're learning Bruno Mars. And they go, whoa. We're not just like playing CDE in a row over and over again, as I do on the xylophone. Uh, but we're actually going to play some, you know, Count on Me or something like that. So I just find that the timing seems to be wonderful as well. Granted, as you brought up many times, it's not brand new, but this maybe seems like the time where people can rebuild their programs around, hey, you own a guitar, bring it in. And, and I'm sure you find yourself, I don't know, does it seem opportune right now to convert schools that are having budgetary issues or maybe they're coming into new money because of the CARES Act? Um, do you see any kind of boom right now because of COVID for either of you? Yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, a lot of, uh, let's just talk about our band choir and orchestra directors who's his, historically 
and I'm painting with a broad brush, there are band choir and orchestra directors who are composing with their students, who are integrating technology, but historically they haven't had to do that. And when everything went online, I started seeing a lot of band directors and in choir using Soundtrap, getting their students creating, uh, because they almost in some ways didn't have another choice. And so they started integrating technology. They started to allow their students to collaborate or they created, you know, some just created virtual choirs of the piece that they would have done anyway. Um, but a lot of them were kind of connect, you know, building down um, or breaking down the, the the silos between why teach band and that's choir and this is technology and those are different things. And it kind of was all together. I think there's a lot of opportunities, um, especially those people who are doing popular music. They're like, oh yeah, I'm already used to use um, GarageBand. And so now we'll use BandLab or we'll use Soundtrap. My students will be composing original songs. We're gonna do songwriting. We're gonna do this beat making who had already doing popular music totally were ready for the opportunity of going virtual, even though we, uh, a lot of us were thrown there. But I think the exciting opportunity is we have so many teachers that started integrating technology. And what I'm interested most, the, the thing that's most on my mind right now is that as we go back to in-person instruction, what are the opportunities that we can hold on to from technology about student creating, connecting with music that's relevant to them, technology? So just because I'm doing a concert band, doesn't mean that my level four repertoire and I rehearse them because we're back in person and I don't have to do those things anymore. You know, what are the things that we can hold on to so that we can kind of connect the things that we're doing with all these opportunities that move forward? So I think there was definitely a uh, bridge that was there during COVID of expanding and connecting. Now is the time where we're kind of looking around to see like, what are we going to hold on to? Um, what's possible moving forward so that we don't just abandon all the things technolo technological that we did during COVID because we had to, because we, we can return to normal, whatever that looks like. I think all of that needs to go on a shirt. I say that every time that I hear something, I'm like, yes, <laughs> print it all, all of the little words like, a, on all the sleeves. Yeah, right. That'd be a big shirt. And I'm a big guy, <laughs> so I wear big shirts, but yeah, that'd be a long shirt. Do you all see a place for this, um, maybe at a statewide level or a, not even just little areas of people doing this do you see this becoming something that could be a model that could be at schools that could be classes that eventually are offered at schools not just based off maybe like one teacher here or there but maybe at a university level to push out to those places or is that kind of the intention of modern band in that way um i mean it's a cycle and it has to be it has to be adaptable. Like, I don't think we're ever going to have a one size fits all thing the way that band orchestra choir have found their way into the curriculum. But I think each school is going to find a different way to do it. Like I know in the West mariachi bands are so huge and that's, that's addressing a large, you know, amount of the population. I mean, you, you could technically say that's modern band because you're taking the music that students prefer uh, and it's like non-traditional instruments, but, um, I don't know, I just keep thinking my my dissertation was looking at teachers who brought pop music in different ways. Um, and it was so different. That's why I say I think it's hard to say that's going to become a one like a, a template. Uh, one school, the teacher took like his music appreciation history class and turned it into music industry and it completely snowballed. He has like 
six different electives now. Music industry one is like the foundational course open to anybody. And because he did that, enrollment shot up in all the other ensembles because kids who thought they weren't musical were suddenly musical. And so that's like in his curriculum. Another woman I talked to is at a K-12 all-girls school and she already had like seventh, eighth grade journal music and she turned uh, the one into, uh, she called it Pop Rocks. And they did like Altworth covers and then the eighth graders did a whole year of songwriting. So that wasn't called nice. Modern Band, but it was called Pop Rocks and Songwriting. You know, so maybe the, the movement of taking your area and what you know applies to the people around you or maybe the students in that way? I think, I think it's, it's seeing your student population and creating a musical experience for them or for the majority of them that maybe aren't getting any music education at all. That's I think it's huge. It. I, I think yeah. you, you really nailed on a ton of things just there about uh, locally, you know, thinking about the students that are directly in front of you. But then when you hear those success stories, you think there's got to be so many people that would benefit from that. And I know we kind of we jump straight to everybody should, but would probably be happy if just a good amount of people did, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, even like so the mariachi band thing. I was talking to Tyler, and he was just like we were talking about kind of like before we started the podcast, like our areas, what was popular and what was heavily influenced. And it's like, I mean, like Kentucky in a way, marching band is really big in this area. You know, and some of that has to do with the climate and just like what's traditionally been done. And then Tyler was telling me, he's like, well, up in this area, you know, you've got a lot of mariachi bands. And I was very surprised to hear that because I think that what would have been exposed to me was just a very small little speckle of what was actually happening in that area. And so I think that's a really neat thing to see how they've incorporated generations of playing and at school in that aspect. And I think yeah, climate's just a, a part of it. A, a couple quick things. One, right. I think the opportunity is it needs to be, if we're talking about popular music in schools, it needs to be something that, that can be scalable and it's not limited to those of us who have experience as popular musicians, you know, like Jordan, not everyone's in a band with their friends that plays gigs. Um, if we're going to do this, we need to figure out, then this is something that the little, the nonprofit organization Little Kids Rock is working on is how do we make this scalable? So like Tyler said, like, we're going to play some like Bruno Mars tunes. Well, here's three chords. And with three chords, I can play a thousand songs with three notes on the recorder. I can play hot cross buns and most of Mary had a little lamb, not, not little lamb, not that part, <laughs> but the rest of it, I can play it. But with three notes on the I'm guitar dead. or the I'm uke. Dead. <laughs> um, we can play all of those songs. And so there's so many opportunities that, um, you know, some of the work that I do in, with workshops is like allow, like when I go to Kentucky, a lot of these people that come to UK for this workshop, not in rock bands, they're not popular musicians themselves, but it's just messaging to them. Like you're going to sit alongside your students, like learner, and that's a good thing. You don't have to be expert. You're going to learn some chords and you're going to facilitate songwriting performance opportunities. You know, there's a lot of ways to allow who aren't the expert to make those connections um, and to do that. And then it should be reflective of the students you're working with. In New York City, most of my students didn't like country music, but you go literally an hour north of the city, what we call in the city upstate, which is anything that's not New York City. And a lot of <laughs> students like country music. And so it shouldn't just be me, the teacher picking the Beatles and Led Zeppelin and Rolling Stones tunes, it needs to be, you know, in um, 
in communication with the students. And so programs can be reflective of the students that we're working with and they should be so that it's not a one size fits all replication, but the replication is a pedagogy of understanding that you don't have to be the expert in everything to be able to facilitate those opportunities. I like that. So would you say maybe like modern band being more of like a movement rather than specifically saying you have to follow these rules? Yeah, I, I think it's part of a larger movement that's been around for a while. You know, um, like a lot of people who are involved with modern band are like, yeah, this is the movement. And I think there are, and then there are people who are like, I've been doing this for years and I just didn't call it modern band or we've been doing these things or trying to integrate and uh, uh, technology into our course room. So I think there's a larger movement and it's about inclusion, equity, diversity, access, um, musical identity, uh, all of those things. And so I think it, it's part of that. And it's the it's the approach. It's the pedagogical approach and then connecting with music that students want to do. You know, the end goal of any music teacher's classroom probably isn't that all your students become music majors and professionals like we want them to develop a love for music that allows their life to have more meaning. And if we can do that for more students because they're participating in a musical experience that's relevant for them, then that's a great end goal. So again, not as a replacement of band, choir and orchestra, but in addition to a music technology lab, a rock band after school, a modern band class, any way to get more students playing music, I think is is the ultimate goal. Boom, you, that was good. It was great. That's on the back of the t-shirt. Yeah. yeah, I was yeah. gonna say that maybe- That one's in smaller two. font on the back. <laughs> So a lot of times, and I, I heard this from uh, Dr. Dan Moore at the University of Iowa. He said his, his whole mission statement is to create lifelong music appreciators. And I thought that was really interesting because to me that was so, in my, in my head I was like, no, we're creating musicians who are going to go and do great things. And it kind of was the first time I heard like we're really trying to grab as many people as possible. And so with the ORF setup, which I love, I teach them xylophone, and after they leave the fifth grade, they may never see a xylophone again. And then I teach them uh, jumpy jams, and after they leave fifth grade, they may never see a steel drum again in their life. And it's like this ensemble just kind of has this, whether intentional or not, it's access to instruments that really don't disappear. You know what I mean? A ukulele is always at the music store. A guitar is almost in everyone's house in some way or another. Uh, where I find like a lot of times the line I love to use with my young piano students is that when my parents made me learn piano, their line was, one day you'll be at a party and you'll impress a bunch of people when you can play a song on that piano. And I hated them then for saying it, and now I love them for it. And now I say it to kids. I go, one day you're going to be at a party and there's going to be piano. And I've no good party I've ever been at has had a piano. But uh, with that said... If there's a guitar there, that's what we're teaching. Like if it would be, we can circumvent needing private piano lessons if they can learn those chords on the guitar, the ukulele, the bass, any instrument that is valuable to their community, it will likely be around for the rest of their life and they don't have to go to a specialty store and find that instrument they used to play. Yeah, and it's building confidence in themselves. I think our, our society kind of places too much emphasis on being the best at something, especially with all these competition shows. And I think there's, you know, been so many surveys about like how Americans just think they can't sing. I know I've said it myself because it's built in that way that, you know, you're only a singer if you're in choir or if you get that solo and forcing kids to sing when they're not comfortable yet. 
there's a lot of like abusive practices in education and it needs to be uh, a little more gentle and like realizing like you can crush a kid's soul by like a certain one look or one sentence instead of just like providing opportunities for growth and you don't have to be perfect right away and everybody has musicality everyone is born with music in them it's one of the oldest forms of expression that humans have it's across the world um and uh i think i think this is what the popular music does because you're instantly making a connection that i think i value your music by allowing it into my classroom that translates to them i value you um and i i think i think all of this is a part of yes appreciation for music but also building their confidence that they're allowed to be a part of it you know it's not just like reserved for this special class of people because they did band in 12th grade yeah, yeah well it's huge. making them where they're at i think is a big thing is like you know you say you could crush somebody i it, it's funny I, I read something the other day saying you have no idea what people are thinking about in terms of like maybe you said something to them and it was just really offhanded. And it's like, you have no idea how many times they replay that through their head. Maybe it's a daily thing. Maybe it's something every time they think of you. And I think it's really sad when you think of teachers that ruin passions for kids <clears throat> at maybe you're 10 years old and you love art and your art teacher just totally embarrasses you in front of people. Well, it's not that they hate art from there on out. It might be that that person that was supposed to be the facilitator of it made it such a bad experience that they associate it with that. And I say that with music. Um, I went to like 10 different schools as a child because my dad was in the military and I absolutely hated music class from one of them because of the way I was treated. And it was really funny. You bring up singing. Cause I remember, I don't even know why I did this. I think it was just like, you know, that awkward age you're uncomfortable. I remember being in fourth grade and I took like my hand and I was doing this cause we had to sit at desk and I'm like singing out on one of these books and I'm singing but I'm not showing anybody in there. I'm actively singing, which is like surprises me to this day that I'm a music teacher. And uh, I got called out big time. And then she made a big deal of it. I'm gonna talk to you after uh, after class. And all the kids are out in the hallway and she's just saying, you know, everybody's doing their homework. You're not doing your homework. And just making me feel like a fool for doing this. And funny enough, that replayed in my head every day I went to music. I thought of that. And you know, I ended up moving schools, moving where this teacher was like the nicest, most wholehearted person I ever met. And that is what reeled me into, hey, I'd like you to join band. And it's because I liked her music class so much. And it's like, it's what you're facilitating, you know? And I think that's the biggest thing is with me, with the modern band, it's I, I got on this track because it's like, I got to experience this as an adult in a rock band. And I want to share that with my students. I want to share the things that I know. And then the bigger part of that is just a community of people that are like-minded that want to share that with kids, knowing that, hey, we're facilitating these things for them. That makes sense. The, we all know people that say things like, oh, I don't have a musical bone in my body. And that is either because society has messaged that, or at some point, they're like, well, I, I might like music. And then they look at school music offerings and they're like, well, that's not the thing that I'm into. So maybe music isn't for me. Um, so if you have a if you have a teacher who does that negative experience, of course, we can turn people off. But there's also students who never sign up for that because they're just like, oh, that's not the thing that I want to do. And so then they start thinking, well, I'm not musical because I know what school music looked like and that wasn't for me. So, you know, maybe I maybe this is not what I'm going to do. And so I think um, 
Right, finding community, valuing. Uh, you know, you talked about um, Tyler, uh, music appreciators. J uh, John Kratis talks about embracing um, amateurism in the best sense of that word. An amateur is someone who does something for the love of doing it, not because they're being paid. Uh, and don't we all want to have musical amateurs in our classroom, people who engage in music because they love it and not because it's their major or not because it's part of their degree track or they, to get a, gate, a good grade, but just like they love it. And, and when we think of musical amateurism in the States, we're like, no, we don't like amateurism. We want professionalism and excellence. Um, but imagine how different approach to music education would be if our goal was just to foster musical amateurism and have students who did it because they just love doing it like that would be a really great outcome and then it'd be easy to think about inclusion it'd be easy to think about access and diversity it'd be because the quality of our program would be on how diverse it was how inclusive it was not did we get a superior rating at festival you know so i, I think it's the the mind frame is is really important um for all educators think about what do we value and how do we kind of um project that to our students I've heard kind of two references to how band has like a state level competition of who's the best, which really lines up with Martinez talking about uh, how we have uh, this desire to be the best and we have it at almost every level. Is there a plan for a honor modern band or does that defeat the purpose? <laughs> well, hasn't, wait, hasn't NAFME done it? So I'm actually planning something now. I've been talking with our exec director of the Kentucky State because Florida did something like this, but it's non-competitive. And that's the whole thing is that you're inviting students who want to cover popular music, write popular music. Um, what Florida did is that they had students audition, you know, it was all during COVID. Um, and the point of it was collaboration. So the students would like, Oh, I have this riff. Oh, I'll go with you. And they recorded their compositions together. I think for them, it was all original music. I love that framework because I think that's a that's a inviting environment that does that that allows what popular music does best, which is creating new compositions. You know, um, I'm not sure how the modern band is run through NAFME and. Um, yeah, so there's um, and in, it, it's just it, there, there, there's both sides of the spectrum, right? So it's like in some ways, popular music education is disrupting the system. But in other ways, it's kind of becoming a part of the system as well. And that's how it's going to function best. Like if it's only after school clubs and at community centers and it's not in the school, then it's never really going to um, proliferate. So there is an all national honors modern band that is auditioned and we're seeing more and more um city honor bands uh or or state level uh honors modern band in fact there's going to be one new york city uh high school honors uh they've had like honors ensembles for years and this coming year for the first time they're gonna have an honors modern band um and i'm directing it and one of the fun opportunities is kind of <laughs> shout out to me um one of the fun opportunities is disrupting <laughs> yeah, I need a sleeves. I'll put it on the sleeves. Um, is is how we think about that. So normally in an honors ensemble, um, the the director chooses the repertoire, the ensemble uh, committee buys the music, and then they send it to the student. And it says, here's the music we're going to play. Well, and that's how all the other honors ensembles work in New York City. But for my modern band, I said, I'm, I'm not going to be the one choosing 
the the songs the students are going to choose them so once the students are, are selected and let's try to get it from as from as many um schools as possible and let's get mcs and djs and it's not just kind of rock band instruments uh but then i'm gonna have a conversation with the students and we're gonna do an original song that they write or that they've written and that they bring to the group no other on honors ensemble is writing original music for performance but that's so important for what we're doing with popular music ensemble so yeah as soon as the ensemble is uh, they're sending in a video for auditions um and as soon as we select that then i'm i'm meeting as a group and then i'll take myself out of that group chat because they'll probably use some technology that i've never heard of uh to communicate with each other and then they, these students are going to choose the songs that they're performing. They're going to create their original song. Um, so it's in one way, like we're becoming part of the system, but we're also, you know, it's not about competing against other popular music ensembles to see who gets first. Um, you know, Jordan, you talked about earlier, like not competing against others, but just competing to be, you know, the best you can be. And I think that that's a fine thing. You know, we want to be the best that we can be. Um, and so uh, when we've, uh, uh, the Association for Popular Music Education, we have a student festival. And when we work with these groups, you work with a clinician who's just trying to work with you as a group, but it's not about, well, you scored a four and they scored a three, or it's not about competing in that way. It's just about working with these ensembles to give them ideas of things that they can incorporate. So um, I think that popular music education needs to be a part of the system because there are some students, especially in um, lower SES schools, like where many of us uh, have taught that if it's, if it's not part of the school day, they're not going to be able to get exposed to it because they have um, they have to do childcare for their younger siblings after school, or I've had students who have to work jobs on the weekends and they can't join marching band to go to rehearsals on Tuesdays and Thursdays because they have to work a job. So it's important, I think, to be a part of the regular school day and to bring it in there. Uh, but we also have opportunities to kind of disrupt the the traditional system, so to speak. Um, can I go back and pretend to be in high school and be a part of this? That first off, that sounds amazing. Like the fact that some students will have that it's almost like a goal, you know, it's like whenever you're working on something, it's nice to have someone to play to and it's nice to have something to share or to be around like-minded people. And I, I'm very curious to see, you know, where that, how that takes off, because I think that that is the other perfect element that's missing. Cause you've got kids that are driven by competition or wanting to work towards a goal of winning something. But I think you have those other students that are you know, they're just there to hang out. They're there to be around like-minded people, to express themselves and to have that to facilitate, I think is huge. And that's one thing I like about ORF is you're given these boundaries and it's so much more comfortable to have somebody that's a professional in front of you that's helping guide you through this. And so, I don't know, I'm just excited for you and to see where that goes. Is there like an ultimate ensemble day is there going to be like we're all meeting in Nashville and 700 people are going to play Smoke on the Water? Like, is that in the future by any chance? But we see that with now, like people get together with 50 drum kits and they play like, you know, the Foo Fighters tune or whatever. And there's some like uh, there was one in New York City. It was a guitar organization and I'm blanking on the name now. But that was the kind of thing. It was like your ukulele meetups, um, but kind of on a massive schedule. And they would just project huge and everyone would just sing and play along. And there's power in that because it's like yeah you know three chords on the ukulele 
come, I'm going to teach you a fourth chord and then you can play a thousand songs. Like any more than four chords is like jazz music. We don't need that. <laughs> um, but three or four chords, that's all you need. And then we can play songs, we can create together. You can have a communal experience. Um, so I feel like let's do something in Kentucky. I'll come out, we'll have a massive meetup. Uh, you know, we'll make it happen. We'll all show up to Jordan's house. If you're listening to this, come to Jordan's place. Come to Jordan's house. We're going to have a gig and we're going to have a, a, a mass music situation. It's going to be good. Listen, y'all want a gig. So I got y'all gigs. And also, if I can just say that in my like heart of hearts, I just would love to have like a giant shoegaze genre jam session, you know, get that one. I can't do it with my hand right now. I'm trying to work on this, but you know, just keep that shape, the same shape up and down the board and you just shoegaze it up. I'll bring my, I'll bring my pedals and we'll make it happen. Let's Please. go. See, I'm, I'm thinking like a Kentucky football halftime show where 800 people run out with a ukulele and play something fun. It'll start in a basement. It'll work its way to this field. The flash mob, flash ukulele mob. <laughs> I would love that. There's already a ton of conferences that do ukulele jams, and that's brought me a lot of joy when I see that because that's easy. It's easy to throw a ukulele in your bag and take it through the airport. Um, yes. So at least that that's already around. I see it not just APM. We don't have jams at APME actually beyond the student festival. We need to do more. We of that. did uh -oh. in um, at MTSU. We oh. had a we had a jam. You had it at uh, Berkeley too. I remember the stage was open. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. And people yeah, would just yeah. come play music. And uh, yeah. and one of the opportunities is like how people feel about ukulele. It's safe. It's approachable. A few chords. That's how I feel about guitar. Even though it's bigger. Um, and we can feel that way about the drum kit. Like if I can, without hitting my mic, if I can do like a simple rock beat, or if I can do one triad shape on the keyboard, I can play every chord there is, a triad chord. Sometimes I gotta move my finger up for the F sharp when I'm playing a D major chord or whatever. But like those simple approaches, that can allow it. Same thing with bass. If I can just play the roots and most chord, most songs are three chords. So I'm just playing three notes and then I'm going to rhythmically play them. Okay. Now I'm just playing, I'm playing the bass. There's so many ways to make this approachable. You don't, it's unlike trombone, bassoon, clarinet, where you've got to practice for years to get a good tone and figure out what you're doing. There's such easy access to some of these instruments. So uh, I think ukulele is the safe thing now in elementary general. And I would love to see same thing with music tech. It's like, oh, I've got a grid pattern or I've got like, I mean, I've got all my toys just off screen. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do some finger drumming and then I'm gonna start there and then I'm gonna add some lyrics and then I'm gonna create, and I'm gonna create a melody and a, like we can start small and then expand from there because so much of this can be accessible for people who haven't had experience with it before. Yes, and you know, I'm gonna say this as a side note, you know, even though people, maybe there's people that aren't as interested in wind instruments in high school, you know, like learning those crafts, I'll say this, like at the age I'm at now, everybody appreciates it. If somebody's like ever wants to come over and they have like a trumpet, my whole band is like, oh, wow, that's amazing. Because it's just that nice timbre to add. So I just wanted to say that, you know, just to put it out there that I still love those instruments. It's just where they need to be at. And yeah. Martina, and I'm also saying you're going to bring your clarinet over. <laughs> And they can be inclusive. Like I said, my rock band right now, I've got a, a trumpet, I have a soprano sax, I have an a, a alto sax. And, and it's like, play anything you want, you know, bring it in. Um, and then we work on the approaches. I had a clarinet player in my rock band, and she was so music staff uh, dependent that I was like, I don't know, just 
play and when you find a note that works hold on to that note and then find another note and we're gonna like i was trying to get her developer ear and she was so like i just can you tell me what key we're in can i write the notes down um and i was like yeah fine like i'm not gonna say like no you can't use traditional music staff notation but we started there she wrote out some stuff wrote out her parts she figured it out and eventually she built up the conference where she could come and just you know create some things or play by ear yeah. yeah well we we never quite got to the jam with her she was still because she had been raised like many of us just like so dependent on the music um so we we've got to meet students where they are and she was like had that dependency i'm like well that's where you are and i'm going to meet you there and then we're going to work this way so yeah all instrument and i think that might be the future of music we see that with popular music now it's like well taylor swift is doing these like edm beats and well most recently like folk you know folklore and evermore and stuff um but like we're breaking down some of these genre specific silos of like it doesn't have to just be well rock does this and country does that and you know we can kind of connect these things and i'd love to see music go there in the future that it's not just band is here and we don't sing in band and then choirs over there and that's where the singing happens because that's like you know dividing music into these like false binaries or whatever the third thing is um yeah just like more music making whatever that looks like if it's sea shanties and if it's uke jams and if it's tech things like that's that's the future i think just everything kind of being welcomed and we start there yeah exactly i think that's exactly where i want that to go it's just all the things for all the things and that affects the teacher education too because the more i talk to people it's like we have to prepare jack of all trades and a lot of our music ed programs aren't that they're so specified and then students come out into the real world and realize they have to become a jack of all trades like i honestly i haven't touched my clarinet in six years i'm I'm gonna sell it like i it doesn't that's not how i express myself musically anymore it had a time and a place i don't regret it but honestly a lot of time was kind of wasted in there because by the time i wanted to be a teacher and by the time i got in the classroom like i wish i would have had more time on my guitar and on ukulele and learning these other instruments like they made us learn all the band and orchestra instruments but none of these you know other yeah (laughs) and it's just like that's that's a big frustration for me is we are very much like not preparing them for the realities of the world they're only preparing them for these very like high achieving high school programs where very few exist you know for sure i think that that along with that is i'm not like i don't know calling anybody out but i'll say this music praxis I take it the first time and it shows me there's this part on there where it's like the music technology and there's this graph and it was like, what type of microphone is this? And I'm like, what is this? I have no idea. This looks like a math grid on here. I don't know what this graph is. And I'd never seen that in my life. And I mean, of course, after that I go and I figure these things out or especially if it applies to my life, like now to know, Oh, I know what an omnidirectional microphone is, but to say that I was ever taught that in a music course I can't say that I was or it was asking you know stuff about MIDI and things about music notation software and what do you do if you're troubleshooting this and that might be super easy for somebody that needs to use that but I think that you know the jack of all trades thing it's like even whenever I was teaching marching band it's not just about teaching anymore it's like you got to learn how to work a sound system you have to learn how to troubleshoot a sound system um okay now you got to hook up your mac and work out main stage and it's like that is a whole another industry in itself and so i think along with what you're saying it's like the guitar why wasn't that something that's a part of curriculum you know everywhere where it's like what a useful instrument to have and 
I don't know. I just hope that I see that in the future branch out more for music educators as well as students. You're going to need to bring us back for a series of podcasts because if the goal was actually preparing music teachers for the jobs that exist, we would be rethinking the keyboard class. We would re be rethinking the music theory sequence in theory three and four. We'd be rethinking a lot of classes that just exist and kind of that's the thing that's always happened. Um, because a, a, a hundred percent, you're correct. Like you need to graduate knowing how to set up a PA system, because even if you're an elementary general person and you're putting on an assembly, you need to know how mics work and a mixing board, and you need to know what to do with the faders and you need to know the different types of microphones and why you would use one in one instance and one in another. And the amount of time spent in a practice room, um, would, would, would decrease. Uh, and I enjoyed playing in the large ensembles in, in college. So I'm not saying that we would need to get rid of those, but we would need to rethink, all right, theory four, do we need Shinkarian analysis? Do we need tone rows? Do we need to under like serialism or could we repurpose those three credits to do something around the, the vernacular popular music skills? Um, you know, I tell my students all the time, like, the the of the important things for you to be a music teacher being able to connect with other human beings is number one period how good you are at the trumpet is like sixth or seventh truly um like that, that so all and i understand how we we set up our experiences in the university um but right we spend time dedicated to doing certain things that aren't actually in service of us becoming music teachers um, it's in service of us playing like in the ensemble for the university. It's in service of other things. And so, right, if we were actually thinking like, all right, we have 120 credits and we're going to structure them. And the only goal is to prepare you to be a music educator and be as successful as possible. We would really rethink, you know, do we need two semesters only looking at one version of music history from Europe from the 18th century? P probably not. Like that's not the thing that's best preparing you to be a music teacher. Do we understand, want to understand music uh, history? Yes. Um, so anyways, it would be interesting as like an activity to think through like, how do we really prepare students and how do we spend our time and what are the experiences that would be valuable? Um, because I think we'd end up with something very different than what we have now. Oh, for sure. And I think, you know, and I thought about that when I was taking that modern band training with you is, you know, the way that you were speaking, the way that you were explaining things, it was just like, okay, the, this is coming from someone that has had all these professional experiences in, you know, like, let's say somebody is a master marching band teacher or choir or band, this, this, or that. It's like, you're taking people. I always tell my students something that took me 10 years to learn. I can teach you in 10 minutes. And it's starting to realize how much maybe you had to go through in college that maybe wasn't necessary by like the end of today. And um, I don't know, I think of it in terms of it kind of like Martina said, how much time has been wasted on this or, you know, I always used to think that in college, why am I doing the same thing that the performance majors are having to do as far as ensembles and how am I supposed to find time to go watch other teachers do these things or find those things out whenever you're so busy that you you don't have time for that and to not even know that you would need these tools from people that are actually doing it. So I don't know. I have like a whole nother rant about that. That definitely could be <laughs> like a part two, because I've done a lot of thinking about that lately where it's just like, I'm, I'm lucky to have the experiences that I've had. And I think that's why I want to share them with people where it's like, um, you don't need to waste so much time, um, stressing yourself self out and form an analysis. I promise you 
I don't use that nearly as much as you think. Uh, it, well, in terms of uh, Neapolitan chords and getting on the crazy stuff, it's like, yeah, I want to learn how do most pop songs work because that's what you're listening to every day. That's what you're trying to do with students. And that was something that I wish I had a lot more of. And uh, it's it, it kind of felt like it was, I guess, shunned away in the music world where it's like popular music was bad or it was frowned upon, I guess. So, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of elitism built into it. I mean, all of our music schools are based on the European Conservatory, which was meant to produce musicians to play in the orchestra, which is like 1% or less of jobs that are available in the United States today. Like, it's just such, it's so overwhelming to think about shifting such a historical institution, but we can do it. If we just like start to like, build the cracks in the foundation and kind of <laughs> add it extensions. I don't know how to do metaphors. <laughs> it's like I was thinking so like, I where are my words at? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. And I, I think if we just keep asking ourselves, uh, what what are the what are the experiences that we need uh, from well, pre-service music teacher education? What are the experiences that we need to prepare them to be teachers in the classroom and let that guide things. And it's easy for me to advocate for experiences um, that are different than the norm, because I said, well, I understand that's your goal. My goal is to prepare them for the jobs that exist. I'm fortunate that I'm in the New York City metro area. So a lot of my students actually do go out and do like modern band or technology or guitar or a lot of secondary general, because um, we don't have a lot of big, we have marching band programs, but it's not kind of like Kentucky. So the uh, and then for K 12 teachers, if the goal is to facilitate lifelong music amateurs or appreciators or students for whom we don't want them to graduate our class and be like, well, I don't have a musical bone in my body. If that's our goal, then we're going to be more inclusive of popular music classes, music technology classes, listening clubs, after school ukulele jams, fill in the blank thing, because our whole goal is not about my my ensemble as the director. It's about what are the musical experiences that are gonna stay with these students. Most of our friends in high school band, like Martina's doing now, they took their clarinet and they put it under the bed or they put it in the closet and they don't touch it again because high school band participation for most students is an experience that ends in the 12th grade if they make it that far and then they don't engage anymore. And then as an adult, you hear them say things like, I used to be a musician because I used to play clarinet and band I'm no longer a musician because I don't play clarinet anymore. Like the people's ideas of musicianship are tied to participation in an ensemble. Whereas if we can get them to use technology to create, to be a songwriter, to play ukulele and sing around the campfire, whatever, they're more likely to be lifelong music makers. But if we're, if we're interested in lifelong musicianship, we've got to engage in the instruments that people are using in society throughout their life. The number one selling instrument every year for the last 50 years has been guitar one, and then some type of keyboard instrument, piano number two. So if we're not using those instruments in school, then we're not actually seriously engaging in ideas of lifelong music making because no one, I don't get together with friends to play my trombone unless ska music comes back and I join Please. a ska band. Fourth way, you know. fourth way, fourth way, fourth way. <laughs> <laughs> um, so th these are all things that I think are um, encouraging to think about because we're at a time now and I'm, I talk too much. Martina knows this well about me. Um, so you're going to have to go go through and be like, find the beef jerky and just edit him all out. <laughs> um, you know, like 20 years ago, a lot of students would get access to music through music class 
20, 25 years ago. Yes, the radio and, and tapes, but you still had to buy an album that was 15 or $16. Well, we all know that's not the case anymore. Like our students come to us with the entire recorded history of human song in their pockets at any given time. They don't need us to access music. They have recording studios in their pockets. They can collaborate and share and create without us as music educators. And so the the, the kind of approach to music education of like, well, I'm the music teacher, you are empty vessels, I will fill you with my musical knowledge. Like that's never been how it should be, but that certainly doesn't work or resonate with students now because they have unlimited access to music. They're creating and editing and making their TikTok videos and all those sort of things. They don't need us to provide an access into music. So if we're as a music education profession, just operating as though we are the gateway to access to musical uh, experience, then more and more students are going to be like, well, that's the thing that doesn't resonate with me. And we see that maybe not in Kentucky and Texas with like large marching band programs. We see that in a lot of other places where our traditional ensemble participation is kind of dwindling. The orchestras that Martina mentioned a few minutes ago, we have fewer and fewer professional orchestras um, because those are ensembles that generally have to be propped up through support from like foundations because they're not financially viable as like I buy tickets and that's enough to pay everything like we're we've got to really be thinking about what is the goal of a music education who should have access to it um whose musical all of those questions because that is um something in our lifetime even guitar might not be the thing students want to do anymore you know um, and so we've got to be kind of it's got to be about the approach and the pedagogy not let me get you really good at the clarinet be and hope that that's the thing that's going to serve you forever I think about orchestras a lot because where they are very popular and prominent is in movie scores and video game scores. Kids are way into video games. Minecraft has beautiful music and that's not orchestra, but I just like thinking about like, what is the role beyond the traditional that, that this ensemble is actually doing right now? And I feel like teachers aren't tapping into that at all. And the orchestras that are surviving, I know Pittsburgh Symphony Orchestra probably gets a lot of support, but they've done like music from the legend of Zelda and it was packed. And then they, they would do like music from the nightmare before Christmas, packed music from the red violin, packed because movies is such a, it's such a prominent part of the soundscape it's nostalgia. for kids and families. Yeah. yeah, it's just like, I just see so many possibilities for orchestras and I just feel like even in that realm, we limit everything so much. Like they're not paying attention to what's actually actually happening around them. So that's a huge sidebar, yeah. but that's always no, like frustrating that's, me. <laughs> that's like my whole thing right now is like, I had a talk with my students the other day, uh, eighth grade, they got me on this subject. They, we started talking about how much of video games influences music taste. And I told them like, for me, Tony Hawk underground on my little GameCube, you know, you only had, you had like a track, you could go in there and like click off songs, but most of the time you're just skateboarding, listening to like, they had Johnny Cash on there. They had some like ska music. The first time I hear that they have rap, they have like a range of it. And you're just listening to this, you know, because you don't choose what's on that game at the time. And so I think that that had a huge influence on my music taste. And I've talked with students like they bring up Minecraft. They bring up, um, oh, this music that we're listening to today sounds very similar to it. And they'll always reference a game. So we've had quite the run and we've hit many topics. I think this begs for a part two one day. Yes. Uh, but if someone heard this for the first time and this is their first exposure, 
Uh, could either of you say what the next step is? What's the organization they need to join? What's the website they need to go to? What do they need to YouTube? What would be the next step after this video? Um, I would say I think the two organizations to join and keep an eye on would be Little Kids Rock and the Association for Popular Music Education. Um, Little Kids Rock has a ton of resources. APME is working on theirs. Both have conferences annually. They're both very valuable. APME is a little more geared toward higher ed and professionals there, even though both groups will cover both. I think they're valuable in different ways. So that I would say that's one way to go. Yeah, and um, popularmusiceducation.org is APME's website, uh, littlekidsrock.org. And all of Little Kids Rock's uh, resources are free. You don't have to be a, a trained teacher. They also, um, increasingly, this is an opportunity out of COVID times, um, do online uh, workshops that you can join at no cost to you. Uh, they're free and you can check them out. Um, and I honestly think that the next step for whoever's listening to this is just kind of think about like, what are the, the baby steps to the baby steps to quote someone I heard 12 minutes ago. Um, like where where do you maybe want your program to go and you realize like i can't get there this semester i can't get there this month i can't get there overnight but like what's something you could do this coming week that's making a step in that direction so if you're a band choir and orchestra person maybe it's talking to your students about the music that they want to play and figuring out if you can kind of integrate that um maybe it's connecting like if you're if you have like I mean, in New York, we always have symphonies that are playing like the Harry Potter music or John Williams will conduct like all the Star Wars music. And those are always the most popular things, but you can watch those online. So maybe bringing those in as examples um, to connect to popular culture, just thinking like, what are the small steps that I can do to um, to head in the direction of inclusion, equity, diversity, all of those sort of things. Um, and just to repeat what I said earlier, you don't have to be the expert to, to bring in you don't have to be an expert ukulele player or guitar player to bring it into the classroom. There's so many YouTube videos. There's so many organizations like Little Kids Rock. There's communities on Facebook of people who are doing this that you can join. Um, you know, just like start somewhere and be like, all right, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to introduce beat making and I'm going to figure it out and then kind of work forward from there. And most importantly, make sure you subscribe to Tata TT Talk for <laughs> other important uh, informational tidbits. For your ears. Incredible. all the good things and that's what yeah i i'm like so i don't know i feel like every time i'm around either one of you i'm just like inspired so i think that it's realizing that you got to start somewhere you got to start by talking to people getting outside of your bubble um and that was like my hope for ta ta tt talk is to start creating just like a group of like-minded people that are outside of the box and i don't know i'm just like super appreciative that you took your sunday to talk to the people and get the things into their ears and their mind. Oh, yes. oh yes. Talk to the people. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for sticking around with us. We appreciate you listening to the whole episode. I know we had fun. I'm hoping you did too. I'm Tyler Swick. And I'm Jordan Smith. I'm Martina Vassell. And I'm Brian Powell. This has been Tata TT Talk, a music education podcast. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye. Well, that went well. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, dude.